So in this uh, week two of Exodus, we're really going to test the core, uh, one of the core principles of LifePoint, and that's flexibility. We're going to be picking up this uh, series. We're going to be putting it down. Uh, we're going to pick up Romans. We're going to put it down. Uh, we're going to be changing in and out of series probably more frequently than Chad and Caleb change out the laundry in their apartment. Uh, so we're going to put that to the test. Um, hopefully those guys heard that out there. Uh, but we're going to be changing and out, testing the flexibility. So really uh, what we learned last week as we opened up this text in Exodus 1, we saw where God took a family of 70 and, and he has grown it to a chosen nation of people, the people of Israel. So they've gone from family to a nation. We're talking uh, two mil uh, spreading out, multiplying greatly. So they had great prosperity. Well, quickly, uh, God's people, his love chosen people, went from prosperity to slavery in a very quick uh, manner when the new Pharaoh came to town uh, cleaning house. So uh, let me give you a picture of what that slavery looks like, just in case uh, maybe we don't really relate. Uh, the, if you're owned by an Egyptian, if they want to rape your wife, they will. Uh, if they want to kill your kid, they will. You have no rights. Um, it, it's, it's very, uh, it, you can't flourish in any way. Um, it's weighty. It's oppressive. Um, and it, the slavery is, is what's used in the Old Testament to show us the position that God's people were in in the Old Testament. Well, the New Testament uses this same concept to show us the slavery that we're under in sin. Right, So the, uh, the, there's parallels. The Old Testament and the New Testament are not divorced in any way, shape, or form. There's parallels all through that. So in this, they had, these God's chosen people, they had no hope. Uh, they're completely powerless. They are depraved. They had no ability to rescue themselves from the position that they were in until we pick up the story today and we will see through the birth of a baby boy that a hope was delivered to this nation. And through uh, the, this birth of a son, that these people would be delivered from the slavery to which they were under. You're starting to hear some of the parallels between Exodus and the gospel, right? The gospel says that we're all born um, in slavery to sin, to death. That we're powerless. We are completely depraved of doing anything to change our position until the birth of a baby boy that God sent who would rescue us, who would deliver us for all that would follow him would have eternal life, would be freed from this bondage. Just like Exodus in the story of Moses, the parallels are rich through that. Uh, God's always the hero of the story, no matter if it's Old Testament or New Testament. But in the Old Testament, uh, God's main man was Moses. And uh, there, from Adam to Christ, there was no one greater than Moses. We're talking about someone who had the uh, privilege of speaking to God face to face. Uh, we have record documentation of his entire life from birth, uh, from infancy to, to the death. Uh, we see uh, great parallels um, that, that would point us to Jesus in all ways, shape, or form. So God's the hero, but Moses is the main man in this story. Uh, Jesus and Moses, they were both, both born in obscurity. They both faced dangers from birth. They were both, uh, uh, they were feared and rejected by their own people. And they were both secured and, and, and protected by God in Egypt. Jesus was the greater Moses, right? There's, there's all kind of parallels. As I told you, we would be searching for the gospel throughout this, this story. So really where we're at 
in the narrative as we dropped off last week. Pharaoh um, had attempted three things to, to exterminate the people of God. Three things. The first one, remember he, he brought them into slavery in the hopes that all the old guys would just work, be so tired and die off. Um, and then the younger guys would be too, uh, too tired for pleasure when they got home. So this race of people would just start to diminish and extinguish and exterminate. Well, that didn't uh, work. It failed. So Pharaoh issued another one. And he said the two Hebrew wives, uh, Shifra and Pu, and said, Every uh, male baby that's born, I want you to kill them. I want you to, before the, when you go to the Hebrew women, I want you to kill off all of them. But that did not uh, was not successful either. They continued to multiply greatly. It didn't matter what Pharaoh did. These are kind of like the, the, the ants at my house right now. No matter what I try to do to exterminate these things, they just keep multiplying and multiplying. They simply will not die. Uh, so so he, he, after those failed, he issued a third attempt. This is his edict that he issued to all the land of Egypt. And he said that everyone is responsible for killing all the newborn babies. Any baby born that is a boy, everyone, you have the right and the responsibility to kill off all of these because they wanted to save the daughters so then they would raise up, they would marry the Egyptians, and they would extinguish the race of the people of God. This is where we find ourselves in the narrative today. Moses' parents uh, are step on the stage and, and, they're, and, and Moses' mother is pregnant and the, imagine the fear that she's facing living in oppression, living in slavery and now the Pharaoh issues an edict that her baby boy is going to be killed. Well, God's telling a bigger, bigger story here than just uh, the fear of a baby being, uh, being killed and murdered. So we're going to learn this story. There's a lot of mythologies in the story. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions that I hope that we can unpack today. Um, so let's, let's pray before we do that. We'll be in Exodus 2, uh, but let's pray before we get going um, today. Father, we um, ha- have all come in here today with uh, fears. Uh, God, something's weighing us down. There's something fearful in our life that cripples us, that paralyzes us as believers. And God, it is your desire that we be freed uh, from these fears because they, they impact our, our, how we are used for your kingdom and your purpose. So God, we pray that, pray that you would reveal those things in us today. We ask that, that you intervene. But God, we also know that we play an active part in that. It's simply not just praying to you to take away our fears. We have to get in the game and, and apply ourselves. God, would we find that place today? God, some of us came in this room today of our hearts and, and minds just out of sync and out of tune uh, with you because of busyness of life, whatever the case is. God, would you just dial us back in right now? We want to be put into this story. Would you put us into the story of the birth of Moses? Some, some may be asking, what does this mean? Well, how does this apply to my life? God, I pray that we feel the weight of this passage and we would see that it's not just a history story that you would place us in this and we would ask ourselves today God what is it that you want us to know and God what are we going to do about this passage we trust you every word is profitable may we seek it now we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name amen all right Exodus 2 let's get there Uh, we'll go in verse 1 we'll go 1 through 10 today 
Uh, now, let me tell you this from the, from the get-go before we go. In the story 1 through 10, we are not going to see the names uh, of, of Moses' parents. We see that in Numbers 26 and Exodus 6. Uh, uh, Moses' mother's name is Jochebed, and her, uh, uh, Moses' father's name is Amram. So that's who they are. We won't see it here, but just wanted to give you a heads up on that. So a man from the house of Levi, that would be Amram, went to, uh, took as his wife, Jochebed, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, notice mom, uh, Moses' mom said he was a fine child, all right? He, he was a fine child. Sounds like every mom, all right? Every baby in Smyrna is a fine child. Just ask their mom, right? I've seen, I've seen beautiful babies, right? And I've looked at them like, that's a fine child. But I've seen some babies that were not so fine, if you know what I mean. Right, maybe they had a tough delivery or something. And those are the babies you look at and you're like, well, uh, instead of playing peek-a-boo with them, you play peek-a-oo. And you're like, take a peek and go ooh. All right? Maybe, like I said, they had a tough delivery. That, my, even my own kids didn't have beautiful baby pictures. But that's not what's going on here. Uh, every mom doesn't have a Gerber baby, okay? Uh, what, what's happening in here, this word fine is, is translated as good. All right? It's a good child. And what Moses is doing, he's tying in this parallel between creation, when God said over and over and over again, uh, and God created and it was good, and it was good. That was a new creation. Well, Moses, the birth of Moses was going to be the creation of a new nation of God's people. So this wasn't about being a beautiful child or uh, this awesome looking baby. This was about a creation story. God said that it was good. Moses was just as immoral as a baby as you and I, right? He he was born into sin just like you and me. So this is not absolving him of being that. It's just talking about a new creation. So let's look at the story a little bit deeper and how this connectivity goes. In the first two verses, what we're really seeing um, is... Is a, is a mom who wants to save her child. Like most moms would want to do that with their babies. And, and, and it wasn't that Moses was more beautiful than all the other kids. And it wasn't because they loved, the parents loved their kid uh, more than all the other ones, right? There's babies dying all over the place. Uh, Moses' parents were not, they didn't have any more of a special child. They had a great fear of God, and it was a greater fear than they had of Pharaoh. Remember, they had issued the edict that said that if you're, you have a baby, you got to kill it. And if they didn't kill it, they probably were going to kill Moses' parents. So they were under great, great risk by hiding Moses from Pharaoh. So this is a story not about just saving a baby by a couple of parents. This was a story about great faith, a great faith that required great risk upon these parents. The, the, Moses' parents make it into the, um, into the New Testament where Stephen is sharing the gospel right before he gets stoned to death. All right, He's sharing the gospel and he talks about faith because that's how we're saved. We're saved by faith and he tells this story about, about Moses' parents and it gets into the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, um, 11.23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. They had great faith. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, was good, translation. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now remember, we talked about last week the concept when uh, we as believers, as followers of Christ, we are called to obey civil law. 
unless it opposes God's law. And that's exactly what was happening. Uh, Civil law said kill the baby. God's law said no. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. So they protected uh, and and protected their child because they weren't going to be a part of murder. So in this, we see that, that this biblical faith requires great, great risks. Man, what kind of risks are you taking on a daily basis with your faith? We fall into a, a path quite frequently where our lives become more manageable or very manageable without God in our lives. We become prideful and arrogant, self-dependent. Uh, we don't need you, God. But if you want to play a part in our life, God, we'll glad you, gladly let you, but I can do this without you, Right? Well, here's the deal with taking a a risk in your faith. It shows your dependence on God. When you do something that rationally does not make sense at all, and you do it in in an obedience of faith, that shows that you're depending on God. And anytime you depend on God, you're walking with God. You are at one with God. So she took a huge risk. Our our society wants to say that, that, that faith is really like a weakness, and you can't do something yourself, you just got to have faith in something. And that's twisting up. And this story, where Jochebed really is going to focus on her, faith requires a great, great risk. It's not for the weak-hearted, the weak-minded. It's for the people, the very courageous, the very, very bold. But here's what Jochebed does. She does not sit back in this position and keep him hiding in the home. God, uh, I'm just going to stay here, and as long as you are going to just protect him, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to let go, and I'm going to let you, God. Jochebed makes a plan. Her faith is not apathetic. She doesn't sit on, your ha- on her hands and not do anything. She takes action. She puts it into play. And this is what she does, and let's pick it up in, in, in the story. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. Now this is a picture uh, of, of a miniature ark, all right, that Noah, same principle um, that, that he built the ark with. This is a, a, a miniature one that's built for a storm, water, all that stuff. So she prepared and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And the sister stood at the distance to know what would be done to him. So she's let go. Uh, she's, she's put him in a position um, that upon the reader, which is us, we look at this right now, we see this is a very precarious, very dangerous position for Moses right now. An infant of three months sitting in this miniature ark up against the reeds, helpless, can't do anything. Mom just fed him to the crocodiles, basically, and took her hands off of everything. He has no ability to save himself. He certainly he's going to die. He's been abandoned, right? Well, it is at this moment in the story, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, God's in control, that at this moment that he is never more protected than he is at this moment. He is not in the water, right? He was going to be drowned in the water. He's he's free from that. He's free from the Egyptians that are trying to kill him. God's presence is with Moses right now. It is, they took their hands off, now God's provision steps into the game. If you believe that he's telling a story, that this is God working all things according to his purpose, he is so safe right now. He is not abandoned at all. This is exactly where God wants him at the exact moment. And here's how this kind of plays 
into your life. Man, at those moments where you feel like God has completely abandoned you, you're facing oppression, you're self-loathing. God, why did this happen to me? Why did I get this disease? Why am I facing uh, these, these trials and these tribulations that are beyond my control? And you say, God, where are you? It is at that moment that God is most present with you. He's not absent. He has you exactly where he wants you. That's how God draws people. Because at that moment, he says, you've, he's ridded you of all self-dependency in your life. He says, I got you right where I want you. You're in my hands, my provision. You can't do anything on your own. You're helpless, you're powerless. Now I've got you. And that's when God starts to work in your life. Now, this is important to know that you do not need to confuse that with uh, repercussions of sin and circumstances that you are dealing with in your own life because you have lied, cheated on your spouse, you become a lover of sin, and now you're facing the consequences of those things. You can't do those things and then sit back and say, God, where are you? Why are you doing this to me right now? Right? Sin has consequences, and you must face those things. Believers never look at God and say, why am I facing this? Well, you cheated, you lied, you stole. you got to face those things. So don't get those things confused. But when outside forces beyond your control, you're facing, and you're like, where is God? That is exactly where he wants you. That is the position where he begins to do an incredible work in your life. So he's not helpless Power. So here's what we see. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. So here's what we see. With faith, there's always a, a beginning stage of just praying and, and praying to God like you ultimately know that He is in control of every single thing. It shows dependency. You start, you work as if it all depends on you, but you trust because you know it all depends on God. And we see Jochebed uh, not just sitting on her hands and not doing anything, she puts a plan into action. She puts her daughter down by the river, and, and we're getting ready to see this whole story kind of play out, and it involved great, great risk. She didn't just take her hands off and say, let go, let God. She understood that faith was really, it, it, it's the, the duty of it is ours, but the events are God's. All right, The duty is ours, but the events are God's. It wasn't just to sit back and do nothing. It required action. But she ultimately believed that God's hand would be over her son and that he would do a mighty work, but not just sitting from her lazy boy. She got in the game and was going to put a plan together uh, to take action. So it's a partnership. It's not just taking your hands off. And that's what we see in this picture of this faith that, that Jochebed had. She lets go. Just imagine that for a second, taking her newborn, and releasing, releasing him or her um, with no, just taking your hands off and say, God, just do an incredible work. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't see step two and three, but I'm trusting you with my child. Uh, we talk about family dynamics here at the church quite often. And uh, man, how do, do you have the same kind of posture 
with your own kids. Open-handed posture. God, they're yours. Now, I'm not talking about putting them in an igloo down Stewart's Creek. All right, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying letting go, they're yours. Your children. Now, before I say this, because I say this often, I am for your kids and I'm for your joy. But there's too many people that put their kids as the center of their lives. Their identity is their kids. They talk about their kids more than they talk about Jesus. And let me tell you what, if you're a believer of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is the only one that occupies that space. It is intended for him and him only. And when you make your kids your identity, you've got all things out of whack. That is not a biblical family. Man, it goes God, right? Jesus is center of my life. He's the focus of all things. And then it's my spouse. Man, we get that whacked out. We, we start to value our kids and talk about our kids everywhere they go. And let me tell you what, I love my kids. But I know Jesus is a superior joy to my children. And I'll tell them that. And they might understand it. They might not. But they will one day and they'll thank me for it. God, thank, or Dad, thank you for putting the things in order. Because now I see Jesus as a superior joy than my own kids. And we see so many parents, it just, it, just a wrestling, the struggle to cling to their kids and not let them go because they're the center of their life. They're not preparing to let their kids go in the basket, to send them away, clinging to them for their life because their identity. Man, I encourage you to get that in order. To look at Jochebed and the faith that she had in God that she ultimately knew that this was God's child. Not mine. This was God's child. And he loves them way more than I do. Man, when's the last time that you've done something radical in your faith where you took a step of faith that made no logical sense? You didn't see what step two and three looked like, but you just let go of something that was captivating you so much in fear. This week I posted a... Um, I posted something on Facebook, and I said, man, I want to hear stories about how you have risked, uh, you've got this fear, but you risked in great faith and how God uh, blessed that, that step of faith in your life. Please tell me some stories. I wanted to hear stories of great faith that required great risks. Women, thank you for responding. All right? I feel like after hearing them, I know your stories a little bit more. And, and, and when I know your stories, man, there's just a, it's just cool to hear that. It, it's crazy to hear those stories through that. We're going to put those up on the screen in a minute. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to do that. Um, but, but I'm so encouraged by that. Men, either you don't have Facebook or you don't have faith. I don't know. But we got to get in the game. All right? We got to get in the game. Men, Lee, I, wanna, I know you got great stories, man. I want to hear those things. But as, a, as a, a, an effort to reciprocate that that revealing of an intimate story, I, I want to share one with you because you need to know the guy who talks to you guys on Sunday, the primary communicator, you need to know my story. And some of you guys don't know, and I tell you this not to lift myself up. I tell you, to, I tell you this because I resonate the seats that you sit in every day, the fears that you have and the risks that you take. I know them a lot more than you think I do. Uh, before, prior to me uh, coming to full-time ministry three years ago, I've been full-time ministry three years ago. I uh, was in the same industry, the health club industry, for 17 years. And, and every year was a struggle financially, 
uh, just, just getting by every year. God's common grace, man. He's just providing for me and my family. But it's rough. We're struggling, struggling, struggling. And, and at this time, I was doing part-time ministry on the side. I, w- I was here doing part-time. I, like They were paying me in Kit Kats and Cokes. That's what I was getting. But it, right before I had responded to a call, God who's calling me to ministry, uh, my, my, the company I was working for approached me. And they said, hey, we just acquired a brand new operation. Just brand new. It's going to be ten times the size. It's going to require much, much more. And this was, in my industry, this was really the, like, this was it. This is what I've been working for a long time. I'm a substantial pay raise, uh, a, a, a successful thing that we've been working for for 17 years. Man, freedom for financial struggle. This, God's going to use, this is awesome. I'm really needing that. This is going to be really, really good. But the problem was, is I had already responded to a call to ministry. So they came to me with this, and they said, like, hey, this is, this is what it, this thing looks like, and, and we want you to be a part of this. And I'm like, God's called me to ministry. And I, I, it's irresistible. Can't do it. And they're like, oh, that's really noble. That's really good. That's really noble, R.C. We know that you love Jesus. Uh, but is it the pay? I mean, because we could talk about that if it's the pay. I'm like, no, it's actually, it's actually less than I'm making right now. And it's probably about half as what you're going to pay me at this new position. Well, they looked at me and they're like, hey, this guy's insane. <laughs> what in the world? So they knew that it was over at that point. And I was like, I know it's like not natural at all. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It's not natural. I said, yeah, I know it's like it's supernatural, right? Because no one would do that. It doesn't make any sense at all. I had no seminary degree. I had no ministry, formal ministry education, right? I was trained at the University of LP. That's where I came from, right? But nothing. I didn't know, I didn't know what step two and three even looked like, right? God, what would you do? I mean, I don't know. I had no idea what step two and three, but I knew this, that if I took an obedience, a step in obedience in faith, and I risked much, God would honor that. And man, he has I would love to believe that God has honored every step and every provision and every need that my family had. He has filled it, and not only filled it, but in abundance because of a step of obedience. And that's so many of, of your story today, and I want to encourage you. I'll tell you that so that not you would look at my story. Oh, I know RC better now. But you would look at me and say, what is the fear in my life that is captivating me, that is holding me back? And if I just step over that line of one moment of obedience that makes no logical sense, that God would honor it the way that he honored Jochebed in the story. Look, let's pick it up. Look, watch what he does when, he, when this planning kind of comes through. It's crazy, all right? And now, now, here's what I want you to know. In, in, with this risk... Man, God, in, I mean, life in general requires risk. It's every, everywhere we go, every day we go, there's risk involved. Like when I eat a Baconator, I'm risking a heart attack mid-bite, right? If you eat chicken nuggets, you're risking digestive failure, all right? I talk about that all the time, chicken nuggets. But, hey, so, so we're not talking about those kind of risks. We're talking about God honoring risk for God's glory, God's purpose, God's size Risk. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about you stepping out and sharing the gospel at your job when you know your boss doesn't really like that. 
It's stepping out and supporting a missionary when you can barely afford your triple play package from Comcast. It's, it's serving at church on Sunday when your week is really, really busy and you're just consumed with time. It's tithing when money's tight. Starting a Bible study. Starting a small group when you don't know if you're equipped or if you're not. What do you want me to do? It's taking a God-sized risk where you eliminate your self-dependency. And if you just take one step, God's going to honor that. So many times when, when God calls people to faith, right? And then they just they sit back and they're just waiting on God to provide something, another sign. That's not you waiting on God. That's God waiting on you. And you're sitting there waiting, well, what's it going to look like? No, uh-uh, you ain't going to see the picture because it's God's story. You take one step and watch God honor that, as he did in the story. It's crazy. Let's pick it up. Let's, let's watch, watch this element of, uh, of risk that gets rewarded here. Seven, then his sister, uh, this is Moses' sister, Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter. So she's down there hanging out by the bank and sees it, comes up, and she says this. Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? God had put a compassion in Pharaoh's daughter's heart, softened it for this child. All right, she, she was the Pharaoh's daughter. She knew that we were supposed to kill the babies. God softened the heart of Pharaoh's daughter so she would have compassion and pity. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, Jochebed. All right, so she, Miriam goes to get her mom. All right, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't know what's going on here. She goes to get the mom. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to Jochebed, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. All right? She just gave the baby back to, her, back to his mom and said, Here, go nurse him, and I'm going to pay you for it. Right? That's awesome. That's brilliant. All right? Now he's safe, and all of these things are going on. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Uh, this, this idea, this Moses, the providence of God in naming the child of Moses. In the Hebrew, this means Meshah, which means to draw out. Right? As, as Pharaoh's daughter drew out Moses from the water, he would draw out God's people from Egypt. Great risk, but God honored it. You see what just happened? She laid much on the line, risked great, great things, and God honored her planning and her faith. So there's this balance here of the great faith, but then there's planning involved. And that's the, that's the application that we have with our faith. It's not a sit on your hands, change the world from a lazy boy kind of faith. you got to get up and you got to move. You can't pray for a job. And God to drop one in your lap and never fill out any applications. God, fix my marriage and not go seek wise counsel. Right? It's an, you, you are an active participant in the story. And it's not let go, let God. It has our duty written all over it and knowing that the events are God's. So this is heavy um, application because th this, is, this is what we know uh, with this, this story that God is telling in this narrative. That, that this is not just history. This is his story. He's taken uh, the ironic picture of Pharaoh who's trying to rid 
uh, the entire nation of Egypt of all men because he didn't see any female as any threat to him at all. He's trying to preserve the females. And now God has taken it because it's his story and he's used five women who would bring and crush, the, uh, to deliver the one who would crush Pharaoh. Last week, Shifra Pua, right? We see uh, Miriam, Moses' sister. We see Pharaoh's daughter. And now we see Jochebed. That God took what Pharaoh meant for evil and he used it for his good, his purpose. It's not karma. It's not luck. It's not happenstance. It's not fate. It's God's hand telling a story, moving pieces. Pharaoh was trying to fight God. Not Israel, not the people of God, but he was trying to fight God. And if you fight God, you always lose. That's for everyone, me included. His current record is infinity and zero. He's got a pretty good win-loss record, you'd say. No one fights God. Now, you look at the story of Pharaoh, you say, man, that guy's ridiculous. Why would Pharaoh, he's just crazy. Why is he fighting God? He's going to lose. We fight God every day. (laughs) Every single day we fight God. We're constantly fighting God as he wants to play and be a part of everything that we do. We're pushing him away. God, all day long, fighting him. Where are those areas in your life? Now, here's where we're going to get... Like I said, heavy in, in, in application because what I know is that you may look at your life today and say, my faith does not have risk. I don't, I don't have to risk anything. It's pretty safe. I go to church on Sunday. Um, I, 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 I've been baptized. I protect my kids. I, I don't get drunk. I don't do drugs. I don't live like a Kardashian. I mean, I'm walking a pretty tight line here and I'm not really walking. I, I just want to play it safe. Right? As if you were walking through this balance beam of life, just hanging on. Hanging on. Don't do anything crazy right here. Don't get any crazy moves. And then you get this massive dismount into heaven and you say, God, I did it. I've arrived. God is not impressed by that. He's not sitting back, oh, awesome. You risked nothing for me. You just walked the tight line, you went to church, you, were, you didn't cuss, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't do all these things. That's awesome, that's exactly what I want you to do. And that is not what God is going to say. He's not impressed by your safe walk and your safe journey. He requires great risk from all of us. What is your risk? What is the fear that is captivating everyone in the room today? And I pray that God is going to speak to you, not me. Because it ain't my words that's going to get anybody to move today. It will be the Spirit of God identifying in you what is your fear that's holding you back. Because we all got one. It's just a matter of you're going to come to terms with it. We all have that fear. Some of you, some of you uh, your fear um, is that you risk going all in for Jesus. You're a church person, but you're not a Jesus person. That's like being engaged and never getting married. That's miserable. And you've anchored your soul into this ridiculous veneer, Bible Belt uh, Christianity that is an anchor to your soul. 
and you're holding on to that. You don't have Jesus, you just got church. You don't need more church. There's nothing the church is going to fix in your life if you're not a follower of Jesus. Nothing. No gold stars for attendance. And you are fearful and you're saying, well, if I give my life to Jesus, what is that going to look like? I'm going to lose everything. Right? I'm going to lose my time. You're going to start asking me to serve on Sundays and then I'm going to lose my option to show up. Because I really like it right now. I really like waking up in the morning on Sunday uh, and just kind of, man, I'm in today. I'm I'm not going today. You like that comfortability? And you're scared. You're scared of commitment. And God says you are captivated by that commitment. If you'll just take one step of obedience, one step of faith, not seeing two, three, four, one step, God will honor it. Maybe your step is fear of baptism scared of getting up in front of people I don't want those lights on me I don't want to stand before a church and tell them I'm a follower of Jesus it's scary I got baptized when I was five um, but it really wasn't real but if I get up there now everybody's gonna say God you're not a Christian you really you've never been baptized before that fear will captivate you And you need to be freed from that. You need to starve out the fear in your life. And you starve it out with faith and obedience. Maybe you're scared to, as I mentioned, to start serving in a ministry. To being involved in ministry. Ministry is not for the staff. Ministry is what all of God's people are called to be involved in. And you're scared. Because you lose your time, your schedule, your convenience. I don't want to do that. Step out of that fear. Step into faith and obedience and watch God do an incredible work in your life. Some of you need to, your fear is joining the church. I'm scared if I join the church. Man, then, then there's going to be this commitment thing and I'm like obligated to it and they're going to make me go through this class and I, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to be married to the church. I just want to date it. I'm scared. Step out and risk and watch God honor that. I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to share the gospel. I don't want to join the church. And I don't want to serve in this church. Said no one ever. Ever. No one ever has said that. God has honored that obedience and faith every single time. And he will do that in your life. Man, as I said, the guys are going to come out and and, and close up. Man, what's keeping you from putting your yes on the table? What's keeping you? What's, What's that fear in your life right now? Everybody's got one. What is it that you're wrestling with to step out specifically today? Now, I I call to respond every week for anybody that wants to talk, but here's what I want you to know today. This is heavy, heavy. Don't walk out of this church today with a fear on your heart right now. Whatever it is you're scared. I don't care if you walk by and you say, I'm scared of spiders. I don't care what it is. Don't walk out today with that fear on you because you want to go eat. Lunch is getting cold. There's people at the house. Don't walk out with that fear. I, we got a lot of guys in the back already moving. And this is, you know, you might be like, oh, it's kind of awkward. No, it's not. Because we love you too 
too much for you to carry those fears with you every single day. And we don't want you walking out without that today. So as we give a response time, man, these guys are going to be in the back. And you just walk back and say, I'm scared to join the church. I'm scared of getting baptized. I think I need to. I'm scared my marriage might fail. I'm scared that, uh, of starting to serve because I don't really know if I'm equipped good enough. I'm scared to, uh, to do ministry. I'm scared uh, for whatever, to share the gospel, to share my faith. Because people might reject me. People don't reject you. They reject the gospel. And they reject God. So it's not on you. What is your step? Identify that as what is that fear? And I want you to go talk to somebody because we want to walk with you. This is not a, a guilting to, to go talk to somebody. We want to walk with you. We want to embrace you. We want to hold your hand and walk through these conversations. And you walk back there and there's somebody talking already to somebody or you want to talk to me on the way out and you see hey, he's talking to somebody. Wait. It's been five minutes. Just wait longer. All right? It's too important. We want to embrace you, help you overcome fear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, telling your story and reading your story that you're telling in Exodus. And so rich with uh, uh, just a great story about how you planned perfectly all of these things, but you honored the planning of Jacobin. And you call for a faith that, that requires action, that we have to do things to see you work. It's a partnership. And Spirit, would you just work in the lives of the people here today that need to step out of their fear? they would start starving that fear in their life with faith. We love you. Draw your people. For those that have ears today, would you let them hear and respond? We love you. In Christ's name, amen.